Today's show is sponsored by Studio 3T. We all know MongoDB is easy. Now make it powerful. Studio 3T is the best IDE on the market to manage your MongoDB databases securely. They take customer feedback seriously, and their users have helped them build features like the Nifty Import-Export Wizard, which lets you run, automate, and schedule your import-export tasks easily. SQL, JSON, CVS, and MongoDump formats are supported, and you can export entire collections or views, current queries, current query results, and specific documents too. Studio 3T's SQL query feature is another great way to save time. Write SQL expressions and joins to query MongoDB and view your SQL queries equivalent code in multiple languages. If you're unfamiliar with MongoDB language, Studio 3T's Visual Query Builder offers a simple yet powerful drag-and-drop method to find what you need, fast. Get a free 30-day trial, no credit card needed, at studio3t.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studio here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is safe as we move uh, further into June. And as most people know, uh, the news these days is is a little tough, um, and with that, we're going to skip cloud news of the week as we normally would do at the top of the show. You know, everybody's kind of processing what's going on in the world differently. Everybody's got uh, trying to kind of understand what's going on. Um, some people are angry. Some people are trying to understand things. Some people are trying to make contributions and help out, and we think all of those are great, and we want to be respectful of those. Um, you know, I, I think the only guidance that we have this week, and, and again, um, you know, we're probably not in the best position to kind of give anybody any guidance on some of the tragedies that are going on, some of the inhumanities and uh, some of the difficulties that are out there. I I guess what we would say, and Aaron and I have talked about this a lot, um, if you're able to help out uh, in any way, shape or form, whether that is, you know, being actively involved or helping out um, in some sort of activity, cleanups or other types of things, please feel free to do that. Um, You know, you should be encouraged to do that. We, We support that. If you feel like that's not the right thing for you, or if it's, you know, uh, being out amongst large crowds of people is not the right thing for you to be doing, um, but you can make a donation somehow, whether that's to one of the groups that's that's helping out in one way, shape, or form, whether those are legal helping or uh, food or any other way, uh, make a donation. It makes a difference. Uh, if you can help in that way, that's great. Um, and if not, if you're not really sure what to do, if you're kind of looking at everything going on, you're confused, you're not exactly sure how it impacts you, how it affects you, or or even just how to process it, uh, I think the best guidance I can give is is to kind of listen. You know, go look for something to read. Try and educate yourself. Uh, we'll put some things in the show notes uh, this week as opposed to our normal Cloud News of the Week show notes types of things um, that we think we found useful. Um, they're good for having conversations and they're good for listening. So with that, we're going to wrap up this top of the hour. Um, you know, again, the news of the week is, um, is difficult right now. But, uh, you know, we are excited about our interview this week. Uh, we have a great interview this week. It shouldn't uh, overlook the news that's going on. Obviously, that takes precedence for a lot of people. We do have a great guest. We're going to dive into uh, some some topics around sort of culture of how do we be better at involving security and uh, security from uh, involving it in the culture of us building applications. And we'll have that right after the break. Today's show is brought to you by Taos. Trustfall, Taos has caught brands such as Sephora, Netflix, Target, Dell, and NerdWallet. In a recent customer feedback survey, 98% are satisfied with Taos' performance. If you're ready to hack your culture and accelerate the value of the cloud, talk to the experts at Taos. Find out more at taos.com. That's T-A-O-S.com. Taos.com. Today's Cloudcast is brought to you by Datadog. 
a full-stack monitoring platform that integrates with over 400 technologies like Gremlin, PagerDuty, AWS Lambda, Spinnaker, and many more. With rich visualizations and algorithmic alerts, Datadog can help you monitor the effects of chaos experiments, identify weaknesses, and improve the reliability of your systems. Visit datadog.com cloudcast to start a free 14-day trial and receive one of Datadog's famously cozy t-shirts. That's datadog.com cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, as you know, you know we've talked a lot on this show um, over the years and, and over with various topics and various guests about uh, a lot of things that have to do with how we operate our environments and, and how operating the environments is sometimes becoming more difficult. We have distributed applications. We have um, now blended teams, you know, SRE teams and DevOps teams. And, you know, oftentimes we see companies making investments in uh, advanced types of monitoring in terms of observability. Um, and, you know, sometimes security isn't always part of that conversation, or we're not always exactly sure how to make security part of this conversation, um, how to do it effectively, especially since we're making uh, investments around, you know, whether it's observability, monitoring tools to help us know what's going on in our systems. And so today we thought it'd be really interesting to kind of dive into how do we better integrate security into our monitoring and the visibility of what's going on. So excited to have Mark Tremsall, who is Director of Product Management at Datadog, to join us. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Pleasure being here. Yeah. Um, so you're over in Paris. Um, how are things over there these days? Well, things are slowly reopening. So And the weather's nice. You know, things are pretty good. Um, slowly going back to normal, I suppose. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, you know, you've you've played a role. You've had uh, quite an interesting background, uh, even prior to Datadog, sort of in in designing uh, you know secure systems and some of the most critical environments in the world, some of the most um, you know, kind of important industries. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Help people understand a little bit of your background. Uh, you know, prior to coming to Datadog, and then what your focus is uh, there these days. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, as you mentioned, right now I'm. Um, uh, part of the product team here at Datadog. I've been here for nearly three years now, um, and so I mean, for you know, for people who don't know, so we build a SaaS monitoring and analytics product, right? Um, and right now, my focus is on our security monitoring product, uh, which you know uh, is the set of security use cases within that larger platform. Before that, I was working on the security of the product itself. Uh, even before that, I was a, a consultant uh, for several years in France and, and the US. Um, so, you know, a bit of a long story leading me to, to product and security use cases within the larger uh, DevOps ecosystem. Excellent, excellent. As, as I mentioned in, in kind of the, the introduction, um, you know, obviously we've you know we've talked to Datadog before. We've had the the, the chance to talk to um, to the team. We've talked to a lot of folks around some of the monitoring and, and observability. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like those get a lot of attention, and, and maybe security doesn't get as much attention. Um, can you kind of, you know, give us a sense of, you know, from your perspective, how you're starting to see whether it's capabilities coming into some of those those types of tools, or just a mindset that, you know, security has to be part of kind of your your day to day operation. It's not kind of its own separate thing. How, how are you seeing those environments kind of blend together, um, either in good ways or or mistakes that people are making? I think that's a great question. I I think there are two main ways in which we see observability and, and security very much uh, colliding or, or even merging. Um, so, you know, when you think about it, observability, we're really just talking about the ability to peek into 
a system and understand its internal state by looking at uh, outputs, right? right? And well, to secure a system, you obviously need to understand its behavior, what's normal and what's not. So it was always uh, a very natural combination, but it's become a lot more important recently. Uh, there are a, a couple main reasons. I would say the main one is um, just security teams looking at what developers and operations have access to and realizing the, the potential there. Uh, so in particular, if you go back a few years, security was always very much about looking at logs and events. And in the modern observability toolkit, you have a lot of other stuff, um, you know, like uh, distributed traces and time series. And yeah, security teams are realizing a lot of that could be, could be very interesting as well for uh, detecting threats, investigating potential incidents and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, we get into more of these distributed types of systems. Obviously, um, you know, people are trying to figure out what's the right blend of, uh, you know, I, I want to have systems that can be responsive, that can scale. Um, so we're seeing more and more of that. Um, and then, you know, especially for, for security, we've got a lot of different tools that are out there or elements that help us. Like, how do you, how do you, you've, you know, as you mentioned in the introduction, you've worked um, kind of on the security of platforms themselves. And now you're working on the the, you know, the, the, the products that live on top of that. How do you think about sort of a framework to say, um, you know, how do we think about security and, and, and the visibility, you know, because you've got everything from from proxies to, you know, authentication systems and key management. And, uh, you know, if, if you sit down with people and they say, hey, look, we're, we're going to start undertaking these these newer ways of doing stuff. Like, what's a, what's a framework? What's kind of a way of thinking about, um, you know, where should security should fit? What's sort of the the basics that they want to get in place up front um, that then other things can build upon. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. So what I think what happens is uh, with this explosion in complexity, you know, you have microservices, you have all of these very complex systems evolving very, very quickly. Uh, oftentimes, security teams realize they maybe struggle a little bit to understand the full context, right? And that's what I meant when I say the the, the toolkit that's available to you through... Um, observability. Like we think about, for example, um, distributed tracing, right? So you're going to have the ability in a single trace to see the full context for a transaction as it cuts across this distributed environment. Um, now for security teams, this is super interesting because it means they understand dependencies. Uh, they can see if there was some kind of attack, it, they can see whether it landed or not, how each service reacted along the way. So that's, that's definitely one aspect of it. Um, and I would say the, the other aspect is security teams, they, they are really embracing an engineering mindset, right, to, to look at how they can secure the environment. So you go back in time and maybe they were more uh, the, the guardians of the production environment, right? No, you cannot deploy this. We need to do uh, a pen test. You know, it's going to take a few weeks and so on. And... Uh, very much like with the with what happened with the DevOps movement, you know, you go back ten years ago, uh, and you had sysadmins doing the same, right? If I'm going to have to run this, I, I need to test it. It's going to take a few weeks, and the DevOps movement kind of kind of solved that. And I think we're seeing security teams going through the same journey right now, um, and developers as well. So developers picking up the pager, having more skin in the game when it comes to security. You know, you build it, you run it, you secure it as well. And conversely, security teams asking, okay, um, the only way I'm going to be able to scale without you know, 
uh, the team tripling in size is embracing this engineering mindset. I'm going to have to build distributed systems that uh, provide guardrails for developers and operations to make sure they run their own services securely. Does that make sense? You know, this kind of um, yeah, it, 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 it's inter- it's interesting, and it kind of it gets me thinking. So, you know, when, when we tend to talk about like DevOps, as, as you mentioned, uh, we've seen that movement grow. Um, you know, DevOps tended to be about you know how do we put you know, kind of build systems such that um, you know we can do uh, um, you know putting putting um, kind of using code and, and, and code repositories is the way that we, we track things. Um, we've got deployment systems, kind of automated deployment systems. Um, and then we hear people talk about sort of DevSecOps um, as, okay, don't don't forget about security in there. I almost feel like what you're talking about from an engineering perspective is more of like security in the way that we talk about SRE, where you're, you're saying, hey, um, I've got to be actually engineering things that are going to help make the system better. It, 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 is there some nuance in between there? Is, or is it, you know, is that a right way of thinking about this, that, that this needs to be sort of part of what people do in the SRE discipline? Or is it okay to just sort of go, hey, don't forget security, DevSecOps kind of thought process or what people are doing is, is okay? You know, I, 100%. Looking at the whole DevOps movement here, I think is essential. Um, a lot of what happens, so people say DevSecOps, and that means different things to different people. And oftentimes, I I don't know if it helps clarify the actual practices that are behind that world. Uh, in, in particular, I think the conversation oftentimes devolved into, well, a lot of DevOps was about the CI/CD pipeline, uh, and certainly we can bake a lot of security checks into the CI/CD pipeline as well. Therefore, DevSecOps, and I mean the pipeline is a really important part of it. But um, SREs and and the whole DevOps movement, there was a lot more to it than that, right? And um, by virtue of working on observability, we tend to, I guess, we're in a position where we tend to see a lot more. Uh, some of these other practices, right? So um, I don't know. Let me let me pick an example. Um, so let's say you're a security team, and one of the challenges is I think you mentioned key management earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you're deploying HashiCorp Vault, right? That that's great, but now you're essentially running a pretty complex system, and you're going to need to make sure it stays up and running all the time. So as a security team, you're really a security engineering team, you know, engineering first and with a, a security discipline. Uh, and so that's that's important. But the other thing is a lot of what SRE teams have been doing for the longest time, uh, there are natural analogs uh, in the security world. So think of things like, uh, you know, uh, game days and chaos engineering and, and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, these also apply here. There are ways for security to use the those techniques and, and methods. It is it is interesting to, to sort of see sometimes the nuances of it or if certain things continue forward. Um, I, I'm curious, the, the other thing I'm kind of curious about, so, you know, I, I mentioned some of the sort of security systems we have, right? Authentication systems or firewalls or, or other things. I, I feel like to a certain extent, those are, uh, this, and this is going to come off as the wrong term, but sort of they're kind of point in time. They're there to prevent uh, an incident from happening kind of, as it happens, uh, you know, you, you either get in or you get out, or it authenticates you or it doesn't. Um, the the systems that the Datadog provides and, and around observability tend to have more time to them. They tend to show trends. There's things that are going on. 
does that help um, security be able to look at sort of, you know, trends over time? Are there things that we can pick up over time from security? Or is it always just, you know, when that attack or that vulnerability comes in, um, I have to deal with it? Is there some aspect of sort of short term and long term to security that, that some of the observability tools can help us with or monitoring tools can help us with? Yeah, I would say definitely. So what happens is, and, and you're right, teams, they start with real-time detection of uh, threats and misconfigurations. You know, what you can't detect, uh, you can't act on. So that, that's nearly always the starting point. But then they realize they have access to all of these data that they didn't used to, and they start to get um, really creative, I would say. Uh, and And that translates into things we can do for, you know, like, Vulnerability management. I've heard use cases about uh, using some of that data for um, threat modeling. Um, I mentioned uh, chaos engineering. I guess you know that's that's also another part of it. Um, actually, I'm happy to go. Yeah, happy to talk about really any of those if if you're interested. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to kind of just dive into maybe one example of of you know how people are doing some of the threat modeling. I mean, I think that's um, that's always an interesting thing. Is is you know, you'll get management who just goes like, hey, am I going to be secure? Are we going to end up on the front page of the you know, Financial Times or Wall Street Journal? But like, you know, g- g- give us some sense of kind of what you see in reality of what some of that threat modeling looks like and maybe how some of the tools are helping to make that either easier or just better to visualize maybe. Yeah. Uh, so on threat modeling specifically, a recent example I'm, I'm thinking of is um, – so you go back in time, and, and a lot of those exercises, they were based on uh, someone would pull up some architecture diagram from like two years ago, and you know it's more or less accurate, and uh, you have a bunch of assumptions about the system that are going to be really important feeding into that uh, threat modeling exercise. And um, the other day, I had a customer take a look at, we have this thing, it's called the, the service map. It's really like an application layer view of services that actually talk to each other. So if you think about it, it's really an architecture diagram uh, of, uh, but it's accurate. It's, you know, it's actual traffic, actual uh, data points being exchanged, and you can actually drill into what kind of data is being exchanged. And so one of their first comment was, oh, wait a minute, I I can use that uh, for threat modeling. And I think specifically they were talking about building um, attack trees and uh, you know, the reason for that is you can see, let's say you, you, you're you looking for personal information, right? Let's say someone wanted to access personal information. So now you have, um, you can answer which systems have access to that and how do they access it? How do they process it? Where does it go, right? And this is super useful for security. Actually, it's also very interesting for uh, compliance, Um so in a lot of um, data protection regulations, like uh, in the EU, you have the, the GDPR, obviously, um, and a data mapping exercise is actually one of the one of the requirements. So you end up building these kind of maps of what data types, especially sensitive data, uh, flows and and where. So this this kind of real-time, realistic view, not of how the system is supposed to behave, but how he, it actually behaves, that turns out to be uh, very useful for security and compliance both. Interesting. Um, any, any kind of, like, you know, we always get requests from uh, from the audience to say, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to talk to the people building these technologies, but like, can you give us some, some examples of, of other 
companies, you know, quote unquote customers, if you will, that, um, you know, have some interesting examples of how they're using it. You know, do you have any, obviously you get a chance to talk to a lot of companies using the technology, any kind of good stories that you can, uh, you can share about, you know, people that have been, you know, not just saying, Hey, we implemented some technology, but really kind of going, here's how it impacted our business. Here's how it, um, you know, either, you know, we have a, you know, we have, like you said, a game day or we have a, a new launch of a new product or whatever. Um, any, any stories you can tell or anecdotes you can kind of share? I think so. Um, so something I'm, I'm realizing actually that's not just a single customer that comes up a lot. Um, it, I think traditionally a lot of the security approaches where, you know, we generate alerts, we have people look at them. Um, and when we talk to security teams at, uh, cloud native companies, especially and startups and, and so on, uh, that's really not how they approach it. Um, something that comes up a lot is they they, they are looking at these um, observability products as more of a um, a pipeline for data, you know, an, an ETL pipeline, and they don't really want to, uh, people on the other side of things. They they don't want to page if they can avoid it. Uh, they they are really trying to automate as much of it as possible. And so, for example. Um, they end up doing very interesting things like, um, you know how so many of the breaches you read about, they are really caused by uh, a, a misconfiguration within the cloud environment, right? Like uh, someone left an S3 bucket open or um, a security group wide open to the internet. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a ton of food guns. Uh, in the in the cloud and uh, and so you see those security teams they're gonna take the alerting pipeline but what they do instead of paging people is they're gonna forward those uh, through like a queuing system like SNS or through webhooks they're gonna send that to a lambda the lambda is gonna check whether that specific resource is supposed to be open to the internet usually they check against some kind of um, whitelist that's uh, in git in some kind of repository. That means versioned, uh, there's a change management process for it, right? And if the resource is not meant to be open to the internet, possibly, then the Lambda is going to automatically remediate that. So now instead of having to investigate and page people, by default, you enforce the safe configuration. You also uh, notify the developer and say, hey, if you meant to do that, um, here is how you would get it approved ahead of time, and then you can try again. Um, and and I think that's super interesting because, again, uh, you read the news and every other breach is uh, a backup on some S3 bucket that was uh, exposed to the internet or other AWS accounts, right? So I, I find that fascinating, the, this very different mindset that cloud native security teams have uh, when thinking about de detection. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are always... You know, there's always a fine line between um, people kind of understanding the basics of those. And I think you did a good job of explaining, you know, kind of, okay, here, here's the, the core thing we do. You know, we happen to use some technology to, to fix it. Um, and then sometimes enterprises tend to get wrapped up in this, uh, you know, kind of overthinking of going, well, we have, you know, 10 regulatory things we have to do and we have these previous 11 steps. And, and sometimes you just have to go, yeah, it'd be nice if you had a system that, that said, hey, uh, you know th that that bucket's not supposed to be open. Go check. Here's a here's a mechanism that checks it, fixes it, and and then you know alerts it to people if, if those are going on. So yeah, it is it is interesting to see that. Um, any any kind of basic you know kind of as 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 new things have rolled out. Obviously, 
people are always trying to figure out like, okay, what are quote unquote best practices, but like any common tips that you've seen, especially, you know, that you've learned from these cloud native companies that, um, you feel like are, are applicable to a broad audience that you can kind of pass along good, uh, you know, common sense type of, of security tips that you can pass along to them. I think so. So a lot of customers, you know, that come to us asking about security, they're actually on the SRE side or the developer side, and they are de facto responsible for the security of their services. And so they're more interested about understanding how to uh, improve the the detection and, you know, avoid mistakes. And for that, there's really not a ton of shortcuts. Uh, we were going to provide you know, some of that knowledge, some of that security knowledge. Where I think it's more interesting is um, security teams asking, hey, how, how can I work with my developers and operations? And um, I mean, the advice there is super simple. It's just go, go talk to them for once. And uh, a lot, again, a lot of those DevOps techniques and practices, they're going to translate to you very naturally. So not just the CICD pipeline, but uh, how does your ops team do on call? Uh, can security alerting become more of a, a decentralized responsibility, you know, uh, at the end of the day, they know their systems best. Can they become a part of that? Or um, take a look at how they monitor services in production. Uh, you're probably going to find out that there's a ton of telemetry that historically you haven't had access to uh, that's going to help you do a better job or do it faster. Or how do they run game days, right? A lot of security teams are not super familiar with, with game days, um, but that's very directly applicable to, to security as well. Um, so th- think about it. Uh, y- you have engineers and, I mean, essentially they're just trying to build resilience into, into their systems. And resilience is actually a very important word on the security side. You know, outside uh, detection, prevention, remediation, resilience is, is the other term that uh, comes up a lot. And on the engineering side, the way we do that, um, we write down assumptions around how a system is supposed to react when specific failures happen. Uh, We give a heads up to people, and then we go try it out in production or maybe staging if it's uh, a bit early and we're not so confident. Well, you can do that for security. You can say, you know, uh, the system should fail closed when uh, I kill this instance or when this upstream dependency, uh, like the network fails. X, Y, and Z should happen that I believe to be safe. Well, go go try it out. And if you've successfully tried it out in a realistic environment, maybe you can even automate that. And that's, you know, people say chaos engineering or or game days, but like they're really um, automating a lot of those checks in production. And that's really what resilience is about. So yeah, I, I think the, the main advice usually when they reach out to us is to talk about some of those DevOps practices and to encourage them to actually go talk to the SREs and developers within within their organization. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think that the, the last point you made really is almost the most, well, I don't want to say the most important because security has a lot of aspects, but like, you know, people sometimes forget that, that resiliency is is almost the very first part of security. If your system's not up, you know, it, 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 you're not stealing anything at that point anymore. But um, yeah, focus on, on resilience is, is incredibly important. Uh, I want to ask you one last question before you go. And, and again, thank you so much for the time. Um, you you mentioned that, you know, earlier on with Datadog, you had been, you know, focused on kind of uh, securing the, the underlying platform itself, the thing that, that other companies would consume. Um, you're now on the product side. I'm curious, uh, you know, because we have we have a lot of people that, that listen to the show that I know, um, you know, are either go between different roles or are trying to understand, you know, kind of how to how to adjust to things. How have you found um, it from you have one environment that you know and have to own and and maintain to 
you're off asking the marketplace, well, what do you what do you need? What do you want? And you get all these different kind of requests. Like, how have you adjusted from from kind of platform engineering to to, to sort of product uh, management or platform management? Like, how, how's your thought process changed? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So specifically, I was working on the security of the product uh-huh. uh, within the product organization, mm. and what that means is already as uh, you know, a liaison with with customers. Um, you know what's what security qualities are important in the system. What uh, compliance requirements are important for them to be able to adopt it. How can we protect them essentially? And, and this is just a matter of injecting uh, priorities as they align to our customers within our own internal uh, security engineering efforts and. Uh, very transversal, you know, compliance initiatives and so on. And, um, well, in many ways, uh, what was super interesting about that is already talking to security teams uh, of our customers and, of course, internally. And this was very useful in understanding some of those more fundamental changes that were happening again with security teams you know getting much closer to to developers and operations some of how their existing tools were failing them uh in doing that i mean if you you can't really ask developers and operations to learn a new product and it's going to take you six months to be able to properly use it right so in a lot of cases they um this was fascinating in the sense that it was the first time a security team was looking at an observability product and uh having this aha moment of oh my God, I could totally use this. Uh, it, so it's not just a matter of can developers and operations in my company use it? What, what would it take? What are some of the questions and you know requirements for that? But uh, can I also have access and what can I do with this? And some of the conversations that started from there ultimately turned into um, some of the features that that we have in, in, the, in the product today. Um, so I would say it was a pretty natural evolution in this regard, uh, although maybe unusual, but but natural. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and it makes sense. And, and a lot of it is really just, um, you know, getting getting down below the surface level, um, asking questions, asking asking a lot of why, kind of getting yourself outside a little bit of a, of a comfort zone, and 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 then just trying to you know put yourself in the perspective of of somebody else and going, okay, what, why does that matter to them? You know, is, is do I need something new? Can I can I solve it with something existing? Uh, yeah, it's always I'm always interested to sort of see how people have have made transitions. You know, with that, Mark. Again, thank you so much for the time today. Um, you know, we always are are kind of just looking for you know further insight into how do we better you know how do we deal with these systems that are becoming more complicated. They're obviously becoming more important to our businesses, um, and we appreciate the insight today. Uh, folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank Mark for his time and, and for Aaron and myself. Um, you know, as always, thanks to all of you for telling a friend, for you know, helping us grow the show. Hopefully you're all staying safe. And with that, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 